Welcome to Bestowing the Brush. If you're new to the podcast, welcome again. Pleased to meet you and it's my pleasure to talk to you right now. I love drawing. Drawing is one of the most helpful, fun, and marketable skills someone can have. You will hear about this every episode, so buckle up and enjoy what I've prepared for you for this episode. You need to know right off the bat that I'm also a Charlotte Mason homeschooler. That's right. Not only do I enjoy long walks in the forest, but I'm also chronically idealistic and perfectionistic, which I think is pretty common in these circles. Oftentimes, you all remind me to lighten up, and sometimes I have to remind you to lighten up. So, that said, I thought I could read to you and comment on one of my favorite parents' review articles on this topic of drawing. Hopefully, with comic relief, or my own two cents here and there. By the way, all these articles can be found on my website's resource page, which I will link to in the show notes. It's a wealth of knowledge, but I've also tried hard not to overwhelm you um, if you want to visit that page. I guarantee you will like and benefit from what you find there. As I'm looking at it right here, I have uh, eight different drawing books that I really, really like. There are also parents review articles, modern articles as well, a scope and sequence that Emily Kaiser helped me organize, and a great list of art supplies. So all those will be found in the show notes. It's my website and it's the resource page. Now on to the regularly scheduled programming. Today I'm reading you a delicious parents review article and it is entitled Early Drawing Lessons by Lucy Gore. You can find this in the archives at Redeemer University. Early Drawing Lessons by L. Gore. The other day, I heard someone debating the necessity of teaching drawing to a child who showed no aptitude for it. We cannot all be artists, was the conclusion of the argument. I quite agree that not many of us develop into artists, but at the same time, I think that few of us have not wanted at some time to draw a plan, sketch a map, or make a diagram or perhaps a design. Drawing is, moreover, a necessary part of the training for many careers, such as the Army or Navy, Engineering or Science. So let us start with the idea that it is always useful and often necessary to be able to draw. And let us remember, moreover, that the child we are teaching may happen to be one of the few who develop into real artists. And that our teaching, therefore, must be of the kind that does not cramp or hinder or vulgarize. There are so many theories about the teaching of drawing. Our grandmothers used to spend hours over careful and meticulously finished flat copies of other people's work. It may have taught them to draw, but it was not art. And the same sort of training might have been furnished by map drawing, and perhaps with more practical results. Nowadays, the swing of the pendulum carries to us to a region where all is sacrificed to originality. If only our work is not servile to tradition, it may apparently be as ugly, grotesque, and blatant as may be, and still be dignified by the name of art. I know one eminent artist who refused to allow his son to take any lessons in drawing or painting. So fearful was he that influence might kill originality. His principles seemed to be justified by results, 
It is true, and yet I think it certain that in this case the results would have been the same, whatever the course pursued, and that if a man is destined to be an artist, an artist he will be, in defiance of good or bad outside influence. But while we may safely leave the little genius to develop along his own lines, most of us are concerned with the ordinary child, who is going to find it useful someday to be able to draw, and whose powers of observation and criticism and appreciation of the beautiful are all awaiting development. Let us not make a fetish of originality, but let us beware lest our teaching should nip it in the bud. Somehow our course must be steered between these two extremes. I will pause here and I'm going to comment that I really love how she's laid out this article already that she has identified. Okay, we have this school of thought over here that says that we cannot kill originality at all costs. So then then that's leaving us with no lessons for the child and everything is up to originality, which we know does not work. <laughs> it's not helpful. And then we have this other school of thought that are these meticulously copying of these other artists, which the, the artist here talks about that not being uh, reverent of art. So let's read on. For this reason, we must avoid a style, so-called, or a method. Some art teachers produce a uniform style in all their pupils and provide them with neat recipes for attaining such and such effects or colors. Does this sound familiar? This actually makes me think of a lot of YouTube tutorials that teach like a trick or a technique, or um, I'm thinking specifically actually of those acrylic paintings where they have squirted out like a dozen different colors on a canvas in a little blob, and then they take a palette knife and wipe it across it. And it like, you know, it spreads the colors out so beautifully, they kind of marble together a little bit. But at the end of the day, what have you accomplished? This is not like a drawing lesson. This is not anything intellectually stimulating. That's just teaching a trick, teaching a neat technique. So I will continue here. The valuable knowledge that comes of oft repeated experiments and failures and the growing pains of personal development are swept away and sacrificed to cheap and easily attained effects. Far better is it to work on a broader basis and to teach our children to draw in every imaginable way and in any medium we can think of. There you go, guys. Drawing is not just brush drawing and it's not just charcoal drawing and it's not just chalk drawing or acrylic painting. Drawing can happen in many different mediums. To begin with, never refuse pencil and paper when asked for. And when the tiny children make strange and aimless scribbles and inform you that they have drawn a dog or house, join in the game and let them watch you draw a dog or a house and then suggest that each of the party should draw something and the others should guess what it is. Honor resting with the artist whose subject is recognizable. With older children, we used to play a game of drawing historical scenes and passing them around for identification. In PU schools, the children are encouraged to make illustrations from books read in their terms work 
and I should like to put in a plea here for the use of the pencil as well as the brush in this department. I have yet to meet the child who can successfully paint figures and furniture and buildings with no previous outline. The result is invariably a pinkish blob for a face, a house with the stability of a blanc mange or a chair upon which no one in his right mind would care to sit. Brush drawing is invaluable, but does not cover all branches of drawing. Like I said, brush drawing is invaluable, but it does not cover all branches of drawing. There you go. On the other hand, children of nine or 10 years old will soon weary of pencil outlines of books or teacups or other objects set up before them when one side of the cup cannot be induced to match the other and the book somehow will stand up on end when it ought to be lying down. Symmetry and perspective must receive much attention and hard work later on, but I think they must not be practiced to boredom by the very young. I remember as a small child that drawing out lessons of this sort reduced me to a state of not being able to see what was right and what was wrong. I think the right note was struck by Mr. Ablett when he insisted on memory work as the foundation of all things. Half the battle of learning to draw lies in learning to see and to remember what you see. Amen to this. This is so true. And I have actually talked a little bit about Mr. Ablett on my Instagram page. By the way, follow me on Instagram. I'm bestowing the brush over there. I like to share little tidbits of what I'm researching there and give some historical background as I come upon it. And I did a little, did a little mini study on who Mr. Ablett was. And he had some stuff to say about brush drawing, but he also had a, a lot to say about memory drawing. On to the article. I have tried with a class of children aged nine or 10 years, filling my pockets with odds and ends like scissors, button hook, spoon, pen holder, and so on. First, I would ask the children to draw a pair of scissors from memory. They start off full of confidence and it is amusing to watch their faces as they gradually realize how very little they know about a pair of scissors. At the end of five or 10 minutes, the scissors are fished out of my pocket and passed around. And there are gasps and thrills as the real thing is compared with a somewhat curious drawing. And the artists begin to realize that the scissors they have drawn would not open or would not shut or have a screw missing. Then the scissors go back into my pocket and are drawn again from memory with much greater success. And the class is eager to know what else is in my pocket. We have kept this up for an hour and a half and left off with an appetite for more. An occasional drawing lesson with India rubbers prohibited is most valuable. If you know you may not rub out, you look much more carefully before you start to draw. Moreover, your sense of vision is not gradually deadened by a many times drawn and imperfectly rubbed out line, and holes rubbed in the paper, and dents left by a too heavy held pencil. Instead of rubbing out, I should let the children draw the object a second time, when they have carefully discovered the faults in the first drawing. And a third time or more until at last a drawing can be passed as pretty good. They will love to see in how few attempts they can achieve a pass. Okay, so here, if you don't know what India rubber is, that's an eraser. And yeah, rubbing out would be erasing. So you've got your India rubber, that's an eraser. 
and rubbing out means just erasing the line. Of the same value as these India rubberless drawings are those done straight off in pen and ink, and of course, brush drawings. In brush drawing, the simple strokes or sweep of the brush must produce the line or shape required with no previous guiding line or outline. It requires considerable accuracy of eye and control of hand and affords magnificent training and judgment. It is essentially suited to flower painting and nature notebook work. Brush drawing can be more easily demonstrated than talked about. Half the secret of success lies in the position in which the brush is held. In painting a flower stalk, for instance, the brush should be held parallel to the direction of the stalk. If you hold the brush across the line of the direction, you will get one beautiful edge to your stalk and the other edge will be jagged and uneven and the stalk all widths. The same principle applies to the painting of leaf or petal. Keep the brush lengthwise along the direction of the stroke. This means practice in painting with the hand, wrist, and arm in any position. Hence the valuable training in flexibility and free movement, which is afforded by brush drawing. I love this part because it really outlines exactly what brush drawing is and the movement that goes along with brush drawing, which is something that I really emphasized in my course. And I really took this to, to the, I took this concept into my videos that you need flexibility in your hand, you need a free arm. And I go into detail on how to use the brush and I have close-ups, close-up video that shows you straight on exactly the position you need to hold your hand and what's going to get you the best mark and more on that course later. As regards the difficulty of flat washes, it is a good practice to make circles, squares, triangles, and oblongs on a page and to color each one in fairly wet, pale, uniform tints. We once enjoyed ourselves painting a bunch of colored balloons on the end of a string. We made the balloons, I frankly confess it, by drawing around pennies. We had to make 20 or 30 of them. Time was precious. And the object of the lesson lay in the painting, not the drawing. So the pennies were useful. Perhaps one balloon might be half hidden behind another. And we paid attention to making the whole group shapely and artistic and varied. Then we painted. Each circle had to be filled very neatly and not allowed to run into the next and judgment had to be brought into play in the choice of colors, which had both to harmonize and to balance well in the whole scheme. That was where originality came in. Of course, before we finished, we simply had to draw the little boy at the other end of the string. I also have done a YouTube video. I did a live doodling with Dallas back in May on this balloon scheme here. So if you want to check that out, go to my YouTube channel and it is one of three videos. Actually, I may have done four. Might be one of four videos called Doodling with Dallas and it's about 50 minutes long, I think. And we did a balloons one. It was super, super fun. You'll have to check that out. I will link to that in the show notes. For a lesson in light and shade, it is a good plan to let the children draw a simple object which is standing in rather strong and well-defined light and shade. Then draw in outline the shapes of the very few darkest shadows 
on the object and on the ground, and paint them in a neutral gray, or better, better still, if the shadows are few and very telling, fill them in in India ink. Then, when the drawing is dry, the color can be put on right over light and shadow in fairly wet and very flat washes. The result is effective and the lesson affords good training in observation of form. I have often noticed that small children observe small things in detail and are incapable of drawing large or broad effects. Moreover, they are apt to hold their pencils very tight and very short and to put their noses to the page. I should encourage a loosely held, fairly long pencil, a light line and a habit of frequently sitting right back or walking a few steps back to see how the drawing looks. But I think the power to draw on a larger scale need not be forced as it usually comes naturally a little later. Meanwhile, a niggling habit can be corrected by allowing chalk drawings to be made on the blackboard and brush drawings with white paint on brown paper and charcoal work on tinted or white paper. Okay, listen up you guys who have very young children. Here are some tips on instructing those ones. I think that variety of work and the enjoyment of it are the two most essential factors of success in dealing with the younger children. And then the necessary drudgery involved in the study of perspective and greater accuracy of drawing and finer gradations of shade, tone, and form will come later with the increasing determination to persevere in what has already proved to be a delightful pursuit. I should like to conclude with two don'ts and one do. Don't abstain from teaching drawing for fear of killing originality. Don't limit yourself to one method or you will assuredly kill originality. But do teach with all possible variety of method and medium so that the ordinary child acquires facility and the possible artist may discover his own means of expression. Okay, that was it. What did you think? What did you think of all that? I thought there were so many good nuggets in that and it was so good for me to get refreshed on that and to remember that a variety is really, really good for kids. So hey, check out my YouTube channel. Check out every everything on there, all the resources, all the different types of videos. And then please do take a look at my course. I have um, really been careful about crafting those videos just for you. And they are perfect for the aforementioned early drawing lessons here. I do teach a variety. We have chalk, charcoal, and brush drawing in those 33 high quality videos. Um, and then there is some emphasis, some, some small amount of emphasis on learning how to see nothing that's too in your face, nothing that's the drudgery of those perspective drawings that she was talking about. So I do want you to check that out. So I will put that link in my show notes as well. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode, everyone. And I hope this motivates you to get those drawing utensils out and to just start something, just start something today. All right, as always, happy drawing, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.